Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Happy Monday, or whatever day it is where you are. Today's play is very timely, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. Today we are looking at Aristophanes' Ecclesia Zuse. My translation calls it the Assembly Women, but you can also find it called the Women at the Assembly, the Congress Women, the Women in Parliament, etc. You get the idea. I think Assembly is probably the best translation since that's the best word for the government in ancient Athens, but since this play could easily be set in any number of places, calling it Parliament or Congress or the Diet or whatever your local governing body is called still makes sense. And I will be honest with you from the outset, I love this play. I first read it in college. I loved it then, and I still love it. And rereading it in our current socio-political climate, yep, still love it. Maybe even more than I did back when I was in undergrad. As you have probably guessed from the title, this is the third play in the Jeffrey Henderson Staging Women book I used for Lysistrata and Thesmophoria Suze, and that is, of course, the translation that I'm working from. This play is from very late in Aristophanes' career. It premiered around 392 BCE, and there is something different about this play than everything else we've read so far, or, you know, everything Aristophanes that we've read. The Peloponnesian War is over for real this time. There was the short-lived truce I mentioned in an earlier podcast, but this time the war is really and truly over. And what we like to say about the Peloponnesian War is that Sparta won the war, but Athens won the peace. So Athens, where Aristophanes lived and the backdrop to the majority of his plays, the loser. Athens and her allies did not win the Peloponnesian War. Throughout the war, Athens elected a series of tyrants to rule, and yes, that's how it worked. The word tyrant today has a different connotation than it had in ancient Athens. Anyway, in 403 BCE, the proper democratic government was restored. And while the war was technically over, the tensions between the two powers were not. So things were still tenuous when Aristophanes wrote Ecclesia Zuse. But as we saw in his earlier plays, he has a solution. Ecclesia Zuse is set in Athens, no surprise there. The majority of the characters do not have names. They are merely identified by their roles, maid, neighbor, citizen, old woman, there are three that fit that description, and so on. There are three named men, Blapyros, Cremes, and Epigenes, who may just be called a young man if you're using a different translation than I am. And despite the title, there is only one named woman, Praxagora. But as you have probably guessed from the title, the chorus is the women of Athens. Oh, and Praxagora and Blapyros are married. I think that's everything you need to know before we start. So we'll take a quick break and talk about just what those women decide to do at the assembly when we get back. play opens in the early morning. Praxagora enters wearing her husband's clothes and carrying a fake beard. And much like Lysistrata, she is anxiously waiting for the rest of the women to arrive. She doesn't have to wait long. Several other women, including the chorus, enter. They too are wearing men's clothing and carrying fake beards. They are up early so that they can beat the men of Athens to the assembly. Their plan? 
to fill the seats with women and then vote to put housewives in charge of the city. They don their disguises and discuss who should put the, uh, put the proposal in. After a series of failed speeches in which unnamed women accidentally give themselves away, the group agrees that Praxagora should be the one to speak. They have a brief rehearsal before heading off to the Knicks. At this point, the chorus sings the Parados. They have been on stage, but the chorus leader has been the only member of the chorus to speak up until this point. The women, including the chorus, exit. Blapiros enters, wearing Praxagora's clothes. The neighbor sees him and asks what he's wearing. Blapiros explains he woke up and needed to use the bathroom, but he couldn't find his own coat to put on, so he grabbed the only thing he could find. And yes, this is a scene my five-year-old would find hilarious because it consists largely of literal bathroom humor. Creamy's enters, and Blapiros has to explain what he's wearing for a second time. Blapiros asks Creamy's if he got his three obols for going to the assembly. Creamy says that he didn't. He was too late. By the time he got there, all of the seats were filled. I forgot to explain this in the introduction. There was money in the budget for 6,000 assemblymen to be paid each day. And yes, in case you'd forgotten, Athens had a direct democracy, not a representative one. So if you wanted to vote, you had to be present in the assembly. Creamies then tells the story of what happened at the assembly that day. A strange man proposed putting the women of Athens in charge of the government, and since nothing else has worked so far, those assembled decided, why not? <laughs> After discussing what role this leaves for the men, the two exit. The women, chorus included, enter triumphantly. They quickly change back into their women's garb and remove their false beards. Lapiros enters and asks Praxagora why she took his clothes so early in the morning. She makes up a story about how she needed to help a friend who was in labor, so she grabbed the closest garments at hand, which happened to be his clothes. She then asks how things went at the assembly. Not knowing that Praxagora had been the person to make the proposal, Lapiros tells her that they voted to put women in charge of everything. She feigns surprise and then immediately starts laying out her plans. Those plans? Well, you've heard of communism, right? Now make it more extreme. Make everything communal. Money? Communally held. Property? Nope, no more private property. It's all held in common. Marriage? Yeah, that too. Which means it no longer exists. You've heard of free love. Yeah, that will replace marriage. Everything will be held communally and distributed by the women, much the way they manage their individual households. Or, you know, former individual households, because it's all communal now. No one will want for anything because the women will make sure everyone will be given what they need. All children will be cared for because no man will know which one is his. And in order to make sure ugly or old people are treated equally, in order to sleep with someone young or attractive, a man or woman must first sleep with someone older and or uglier. The courts will be closed because no one will need to steal. The entire city will, effectively, be one great big dormitory with a massive dining hall. And you thought Marx's ideas on communism were extreme. There is a song that comes after this section, something to shift the scene, but that part of the play has been lost. The song that comes after the next scene is also lost, and maybe that's why this play isn't performed as often anymore, but it's a pretty lousy reason if you ask me. A citizen enters. He is packing up all of his belongings to turn them in. And a dissident enters and berates the citizen for following the requirement that all property be turned into the communal storehouses. A herald enters and reminds the two men that they need to go to the leader's house to draw lots to find out where they are to dine that day. The dissident is 
thrilled to partake of the free food, but the citizen reminds him that he can't partake of the communal stores if he hasn't contributed to them. The dissident tries to think of a way that he can do both, and the two men exit. The scene shifts again. A young woman is waiting for her sweetheart, Epigenes. An old woman reminds her that he'll have to sleep with an old woman first, and this old woman knows exactly who it should be. Epigenes enters and tries to find the young woman, but meets the old woman at every turn. Until an even older woman enters. And then an even older woman. You can imagine what happens. The scene ends with the two oldest women dragging Epigenes inside. Blapiros enters with an attractive young woman on each arm. He is quite the opposite of Epigenes, so he gets first dibs on the young women. Everyone is happy, and the play ends with a party. I'm a socialist. Maybe that's why I love this play. And it is a very political play, which may be a reason that critics forget that it's a comedy. But I do think that it's very funny, too. And we know from shows like Veep that politics can be funny. So the question is whether or not this is a satire, and if so, what is it a satire of? Communism? The idea of putting women in charge? I do have a feeling that if this play were to be written today, it would not be a comedy. This would just be the first act. It would undoubtedly end with the downfall of the system Praxagora has implemented. And speaking of Praxagora, did you notice that she disappears? She does. She announces her plans and then never appears on stage again. Now, there are some practical reasons for this. When there are a limited number of actors, sometimes characters disappear because the actor is playing multiple roles. We see the same thing happen in Shakespeare, notably, when the fool suddenly disappears from King Lear. Um, And it's because he was playing two different characters and he had to go and be a different character. So there may be a very practical reason for Praxagora not to appear again. But it is interesting to note that the hero of the play is only in the first half of it. We know that Aristophanes was not the most progressive of men. So put in the context of the time in which it was written, this play probably was intended to be a satire. But if we look at it in the context of the world today, would it really be so bad to try putting the women in charge for a while? It's not like the men who've been running it for the last 2300 years since this play premiered have been doing a bang up job of it and yes the reforms proposed are pretty radical but maybe the satire is in how quickly and easily the reforms are adopted not what the reforms are attempting this play needs a reboot when we talked about frogs i went on for a bit about the importance of art well maybe this is the sort of play we need right now Something to make us laugh, but something to also call us to action. Because the way the world is today is literally killing people. So maybe it's time we tried something completely different. What do you think? What would you do with this play today? Come share your thoughts politely, please, on the blog. The link, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we'll go over book 15 of The Iliad. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. 
And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.